So, Godfrey, this was maybe the most offensively starved year that I can remember just in terms of the games I was watching and the points that were not scored. So Saturday was just a delight. I was actually pretty shocked um, that there was a level of entertainment to, to uh, what pretty much all of them. Yeah. I didn't get to watch them all back-to-back like a, like a normal proper Saturday, but pretty strong. I, um, I did exactly what ESPN expects you to do uh, during the Ohio Appalachian State. With, I guess that was the Camellia. So I had that on. Uh, my wife told me we were going to have some people over kind of last minute uh, just for some drinks for about an hour and a half at our, at our home. Uh, very much a sort of holiday vibe. And I put the game on to have that like fallback conversation topic with, with people. That, that's, that's why these, these bowls exist is because <laughs> you're going to be in a house with folks and you just have football on as this like, um, you know, it's almost like an aerosol narcotic. It just makes everyone a little calmer in the environment. And really, Ohio Appalachian State was perfect for that exact purpose because there were really only about eight interesting minutes in the whole game. They just happened at the end of both halves, uh, and the rest of the game was mostly kind of ignorable, so that worked pretty well. Holy War was more fun than we probably than, than we gave it credit for. Yeah, certainly. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I completely ignored the middle two quarters and then started paying attention again just in case in the fourth. So, right. um, man, like that's... <laughs> It was such a weird thing, like the combination of luck and just horrific body language on the part of of BYU there at the very start. As soon as something went wrong, it took them so long to recover. But then at the same time, it was you know tipped interception, tipped interception. Um, so it was kind of bad luck and bad preparation kind of merging together at the beginning there. Somewhere I intercepted people discussing Bronco Mendenhall's ability to coach against Justin Fuente and other other um, coaches that he'll be squaring off against in the ACC. And, um, you know, I guess we're going to have to say it every week. These games are not accurate representations <laughs> of college football. I mean, there's um, a reason to wonder about Bronco. Like, Bronco's clearly a good coach. But, like, where he ranks among other good coaches, I'm really not sure. But, yeah, for, Saturday's game has very little to do with any of that. Um, the most interesting thing that came out of the entire Las Vegas Bowl was a story that was written about Bronco from a reporter from Roanoke, Virginia, I think. Um, they, they obviously sent, a, a, I think it was the UVA reporter, out to Utah and Las Vegas to profile this guy who's taking over the program. And in there, there's an anecdote about how BYU took a bus from Provo to Las Vegas instead of flying, the reason being that they saved $300,000, which um, this is going to be weird, but I actually do have some experience chartering flights in my life um, back in the pro wrestling days, and chartered flights are super-duper expensive, especially for like an entire football team. It's much easier to fly a basketball team places um, just because of numbers. Uh, however, the fact that they did that, they did it the, to save the three hundred grand so they could make their new weight room bigger. Now, Bill, I went to an SEC school that, granted, was one of the poorer ones when I was there, and you went to a school that was in the Big 12 and then now eventually the SEC. Um, I just don't – like, that's a philosophy that I should should curb my criticism of BYU. It's actually a pretty sharp move when you think about it because what's a six-hour bus ride, you know? Maybe it sucks to to, to say that, but football players I really don't think care about six hours. Um, that's a that's a BYU problem is what I'm getting at. 
Um, if you're a Power Five program, you're just not that, that. That kind of equation is just never going to be presented to you about cutting one corner to save a, save on another. In fact, you probably would never have those two items meet in any kind of budget world. You would have an operating budget that's going to be considerably larger than what we think BYU's is for athletics. And then you would also have private donations. You would have network money. You would have specific campaigns and fundraising that would go for something like the expansion of a weight room. In fact, usually you wouldn't expand a weight room. You just build a whole new facility in the Big Ten or the SEC or the Pac-12. So that anecdote stuck with me when I read it and I thought about it through the course of the Vegas Bowl and everything else. That's why he's leaving. That's really, I think, the only reason why he's leaving. I think he wants to try his luck and he wants to try and test his ability. Where, and Virginia is not a job that's that's overflowing with money by any stretch, but I think it's it's a it's a job that he feels like is on even footing with the competition. It's a, you're a conference member. There's some stability there. You know what region you're going to be playing football in. You know, you know your opponents year in and year out. You're able to recruit to a specific area from a specific area. I think all those things. Uh, were enticing to him just to just to sort of I think he wanted to take his skill set and apply it against the normal quote unquote normal rubric of college football. Right. I mean, you still have disagreement in the Big Twelve about whether BYU counts as a major conference or a power opponent. So they are sort of in this really weird place where they're legitimate but not. And yeah, I mean, Virginia definitely has its own issues, and and I, you know, who knows how much you can win there or how consistently. But yeah, I mean, it is is certainly a more stable situation. I do think at the power conference level, where you get into cutting corners is like with the band or the cheer squad. Um, the team flies on the charters, and then you worry about everything else. So I mean, there, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. There's definitely financial issues at other schools that are that are Power Five members, but. Not like that. And I think it's also combined with the fact that we, we know a little bit about what BYU is offering its, its, uh, its candidate pool in terms of an annual salary. It's grossly undervalued. It's just it's not at market value compared yeah. to the kind of schedule that they've built for 16 and beyond. They want to operate like a Power 5 program, and they really want to build themselves into the, you know, the whole LDS Notre Dame thing. You got to pay like it. You got to act like it. You got to budget like it. And uh, you know, I, I've talked to our our colleague Matt Brown at, at SB Nation about this before, and he's he's assured me there's no there's no want of funds in the church. You know, they fund BYU, who in turn funds this athletic program. No one's strapped for cash. Right. So if they are going to continue to nickel and dime football again, and this isn't me encouraging encouraging everyone to spend like Alabama or USC or what have you. It's just that the reality of the market is if you want the results that someone's getting by paying half the price, it's not going to happen. Or it could, but the odds are, are never, ever, ever in your favor. Well, look um, at Miami. I mean, the, the big knock that, that everyone put on Miami was, hey, this is actually a, pro- a small private school. Right. They don't have the facilities and they haven't had the funding for years to operate like Florida State or Florida. Well, now we're, I mean, you know, the, the reports that we have out of Miami and what I've talked to assistants about is that they decided, hey, we're going to have to get competitive with funding. And then the next thing we're going to address is, is line by line all the different things that, you know, we need in terms of facilities and resources to compete with Florida State and Florida. And that, that's those are, those are big schools to compete against. And then you go out and you get an SEC coach and you give them a really attractive salary and that makes sense. So um, none of this has anything to do with – 
with the moves that I thought I think um, BYU has made. Um, hiring, uh, do you, you want to take the first crack at pronouncing this so I don't screw it up? It's Kalana Sitaki, right? I think so. I think it's Kalana Sitaki. Okay. It took me two years, but I have a perfect lilt on Ken Niamatanolo. Like, I can well, nail that. Well, right? I mean, so many of these names, I can spell them, like, because that's what I do. I never have to say them out loud. I just spell them uh, because that's my job. And, and so, yeah, the podcast thing is opening up opportunities to, you know, yeah, be expose idiots. myself to things I don't actually know. Um, I thought it was, um, I thought it was a pretty predictable hire that yeah. I, it's very hard to sort of calculate what kind of, uh, impact he's going to have on such a unique situation. The only thing I know for certain is that I don't think anything has changed within the model of BYU and how they're sort of applying their, the faith-based initiative and also some of their internal politics to their football programming. All, everything stays basically the same. Right. The only thing that's changing is that the expectation is rising, as is the difficulty of that schedule. So uh, yeah. good luck, Coach, because you've got <laughs> a hell of a 2016 and beyond. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a pretty good defensive coordinator, so he might do a perfectly fine job. He knows the challenges, that's for sure. Um, so uh, this is a, a segue of sorts. So speaking of uh, you know budgets... HBCU uh, teams, we, we yep. let off bowl season with um, the Celebration Bowl between NCAA and T and Alcorn State, and it was a lovely game, just a really fun game, lots and lots of big plays, somehow went down to the wire, even though Alcorn State didn't have an offense. Um, it, it was a really fun game, and I, it was a, it's such a unique experiment. So I've, I've had this piece brewing mostly in my head still for a couple of months, and it's still going to be brewing moving forward, but... The idea of what goals should be for HBCU, uh, for HBCU conferences, HBCU programs. And then on the flip side, you know, the, what should membership in Division I get you? Because basically HBCUs are in Division I instead of their own division or Division II or whatever because of March Madness money and the opportunity to occasionally <laughs> have a Norfolk State beat Missouri, for instance. And so, and that's awesome. And, and it seems to, I mean, it seems to be worthwhile. Joel Anderson had a really good piece a few weeks ago about a team that actually dropped from one division one to division two, Winston-Salem state. Um, but for the most part, everybody seems okay with this model. It's just kind of an interesting thought of, you know, we're in division one, we're in FCS. Uh, we don't have an automatic bid to the playoff. The MEAC did, and they forfeited it basically so that they could play in this celebration bowl, which becomes kind of the, uh, the de facto HBCU national championship game. Well, I mean, still... it's been talked about. Uh, I'm sorry to, if I interrupted you, but it is a very complicated issue, Bill. Extremely, uh, yeah. it, and and there's some sensitivity around it because of the origin of H- HBCs and also the future. Yeah. Um, there is no one answer that's really popular. I mean, a lot of people are very split on this because of the quality of football. I can tell you this personally, and I understand why these games happen, but there's no way that you should be seeing an Alcorn State have to go to, um, or a Mississippi Valley or Jackson State have to go into SEC schools anymore to get a paycheck and just get murdered. Yeah. We just need to... I, I'm not taking that stance because I think it's bad football. I'm not taking that stance because I think it's unfair that, you know, the SEC school gets to count that as a win. I just, it, it, it's just not proportionate. It just doesn't make sense on any level except that they need the money. And so right. that's what needs to be addressed. Right. And that's, that's kind of to my point of, you know, what does, what should division one membership get you uh, in terms of 
whatever. I mean, it's basically <laughs> it's basically money sharing. It's just you have to go sacrifice your players uh, to get beat sixty nine to nothing, and then you know get your paycheck so you can you know cover your expenses and and go about your business and try to win your conference. If that's enough, fine. I mean, if if everybody if, if those goals are enough, like you get you get massacred by an F, FBS team once a year, then you try to win your conference. Like Alcorn State, Alcorn State got drubbed by Georgia Tech and then actually started to play pretty well. And the Sagarin ratings, they're right there. I mean, they're right there with like UCF and stuff, which obviously UCF was a terrible FBS team, but they're still, you know, they're still UCF. They have a much bigger budget than Alcorn State does. So I still, I, I think that was a decent accomplishment. I just, I mean, if, if you're here, like, the idea of revenue sharing and all these things, it, it's a fascinating topic to me. And then it gets really annoying, an annoying topic when we start using the same language as we do in political arguments um, about, you know, rising tides and, you know, we made our mo- this money, why should we share it and all that? Um, but no, I, I just, I, I'm really, I was interested in the experiment. Plus uh, watching that game gave me this uh, vision of watching like FCS teams playing mediocre fbs teams in bowls like the the semifinalists that lose like mcneese or not mcneese state sam houston state goes and plays um you know a san jose state or somebody in a bowl game that sounds kind of fun to me for whatever reason but i mean all this sounds fun to me because i'm i've got a problem but well um, i think i think what you're getting at is what a lot of us in the industry want to see and Every time we ask for questions on this podcast, we get the same question from, from the listener. One listener always asks us the same question, and I don't think we've ever addressed it because Bill's written about it extensively because it's become a pretty common topic, and that's relegation. I think people, hard, hardcore fans of the, of the sport as a whole, constantly talk about dropping teams down and, and adopting the model of, of European soccer, which, help me out, Bill, does that, that take place in, is it just the premiership or is that all of soccer? Oh, that's all of European soccer. This is actually funny, by the way. I'm going to interrupt you already. No, go ahead. Um, I, I was going to search for a piece I had written so I could talk about it just now. Um, I typed in, I Googled promotion relegation and autofill. The first <laughs> one is promotion relegation MLS. The second one was promotion relegation SB Nation Bill Connolly. Um, so you're, I, just, you're just telling everybody how awesome you are. That's in, right. In I, the Googles. I feel like this is, my, this is my achievement. This is what goes on my headstone at the moment is he talked about something that would never in a million years happen. Um, but okay. Not, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I'm gonna, I'll, um, I'll stretch while you pull this up. The same principles of what we're trying to outline the problem and the, and the, and the diagnosis and also the future for the HBCUs is – very similar to what's going on sub FBS right now, where there have been a, a, a rash of programs that have moved up that have had the ability to get that money together, but they're not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily equal great football. So Appalachian State and Georgia Southern were powerhouses, powerhouses. Georgia State starts a program from scratch. Charlotte, UTC, uh, Kennesaw State starts a program from scratch. They go to FBS. Then you have North Dakota State, right? They are, I mean, I, I haven't ever asked them officially, but I know that in football circles, they don't really have any designs right now on Division One because where would North Dakota State go? The appeal that you see in programs like Maryland who joined the Big Ten, it has nothing to do with the athletics, right? We beat that horse to death. It was a television market. It was the expansion of a footprint. Jim Delaney wanted to, uh, to boast X amount of households for the network because that's the number one revenue driver for the conference, okay? That math and that logic kind of 
trickles all the way down to like there's poor North Dakota State who they are in their fifth or sixth consecutive FBS title they'll play in Frisco against Jacksonville State who should have beat Auburn um and they're never going to move up I don't think because there's no place for them there's no model for that you know if you're an Appalachian State or if you're a Georgia Southern you fall into a regional footprint the Sun Belt or the CUSA for that matter um, you're closer to major TV markets. If you're Georgia State or Charlotte and you're sitting in someone's backyard of, of, a, of a sizable DMA, a television household market, you can, you can start from nothing and then build up and, and get there pretty fast. Also has to do with population density, et cetera, et cetera, so forth. So what I'm getting at is that maybe we start looking at tiers, right? We start really looking at the conversation that I've been gently pushing AAC Commissioner Mike Oresco into every time I talk to him. I've talked to him like five times this year because we because this is the official podcast of the American Athletic Conference. <laughs> Do we figure out where that first line stops, the second line begins, and then the third line begins? Now, it doesn't really address your HBC deal yet, but as you go, it will. I really do believe that. Do we, do we abandon the current model and just go with tiers? And if so, and this is where I'm going to flip it back to you, where do the where does tier one and two start, and where does tier two to three start? Yeah, I, this is a topic I, that Jason just lets me write about once a year, and and I I'm not going to ask questions. I, I think he's insane to let me do it, but um, I, I really yeah, this last year I really I walked through not only uh, once again why a promotion relegation structure would 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 be good and why it would so, at least sort of work. Um, financially, like, you know, the t- if we were doing everybody, then make sure that, you know, the, the tier one teams still get a good chunk, like the, you know, Purdue's never going to lose its big 10 network money to a certain degree. It'll, it'll always make like X amount. You could maybe structure it to where there are incentives there, but, um, but it would just, in terms of competition, it would make it about merit and not about um, who, which conference did you join 75 years ago? Because that's, I mean, that's, I, I mean, I hate to pick on any one school here, but we'll say Wake Forest. You know, they joined up with a bunch of other Southern Conference teams a long time ago, ended up uh, eventually being part of the ACC. They've been like a, a, a high caliber FBS or power conference caliber team like five or ten times ever, pretty much. Um, but they will never, ever, ever be lower than the ACC. So, you know, there's just there, – there's an idea of merit there that I, that I always find really, really attractive. But when you mentioned the AAC, it, it planted a different seed in my head. Maybe this is where I take this year's uh, – this February's promotion and relegation idea. The AAC did something really interesting this year in that, you know, number one, made a bunch of great hires and, and put a pretty high-quality product on the field, but – Beyond that, I mean, so they separated themselves from the rest of the mid-major universe by far. Uh, the Big East didn't really, wasn't really all that separated from, from that, and, and they did a really nice job of making hires and separating themselves. What if the, the American Conference tried to add, create a tier structure of its own? You know, inside the conference. Well, kind of. I mean, basically, become like a almost like a thirty-two team uh, conference where the top eight are playing each other. The second, like where there's like four tiers, and you make sure that the the eight teams that are in the the official quote unquote American conference at at the FBS level or whatever 
they're really, really strong teams, and suddenly you've got a strong conference. Because so you're talking game. about folding uh, CUSA, AAC, Sunbelt, Mountain West? I, 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 this idea was birthed about three minutes ago, so I'm not completely sure yet. Well, that's okay. We can talk it out. <laughs> that's right. That's what this is for, just like the 5-7 and seven tournament last week. Um, Which, by the way. What if they did that? We, what yeah, if they started absorbing teams, and suddenly you have this structure where you've got the five power conferences, but then you've got this sixth conference that, with, with membership that rotates every single year but always has pretty awesome eight to ten teams right at the top that really would compete with, at worst, the the worst of the five other conferences at worst so you know if we're the official podcast of the aac let's let's get aresco on the phone here uh and start working on this i mean hang on let me text you up bay <laughs> you up mike um all right so if we do this we essentially just take all the group of five members plus probably byu because they're not going to be recognized as a right. five plus the independence which is just well, I guess just Army. Um, we shake them all up every year and then tear them out? Kind of. What do you I mean, do? What are you idea, fighting so. for in the bottom side of that to get back up? Like, so if you're in the – all right. Ideally, this is just spit – we are thinking this through in real time, and then we're going to get to bowl previews and everything we're supposed to do. If we do this, Bill – I assume that let's say it's the the top tier is like eight to ten teams, and are they playing for essentially the championship? But also hypothetically, they'd be playing for the right to compete in the national playoff if the playoff was more than four teams. Kind of, yeah. I mean, that would be um, especially if it's at eight teams, that would be kind of perfect. You could easily, I mean, you basically be creating a mid major champion, but you would also offer the opportunity for a North Dakota State then to be playing other teams of a certain caliber. So let's. All right, I, I, I pulled up the Sagger and rankings. Here are the, we'll say, the top 10 teams. Well, you don't want to use yours? Well, I don't do FCS. I, I wanted to use Sagger and oh, okay, okay. FCS as well. Um, so here are the top 10 teams that aren't in a power conference. You've got this year. Yeah, it'd be better if there was a Boise State at the top, like 2010 or something. Um, but this year you'd basically be looking at number – damn Houston is the highest at 28. Well, that just wrecks me right there. But So Houston, 28. Why does that wreck you? Well, I was hoping there would be a top 20 team in there that kind of helped the point a little. Um, Number 28, Houston. Number 32, Navy. Number 38, Western Kentucky. 39, BYU. So you have four top 40 teams. 41, Bowling Green. 42, Memphis. 44, Toledo. 46, Temple. Um, so you have eight in the top 46. So, okay, right there. We're done. Well, then you've got, you've got North Dakota State at 51 and South Florida at 54. So your whole 10-team conference is in the top 54. Okay. So next year we take those 10 teams and we have them play a schedule against each other. The winner right. then gets – here's the problem with that, though. Here's what a coach is going to say other than, are you crazy? Get out of my office. <laughs> right. That's always the answer um, in the end. They're going to say that we're basically creating a two-year merit system. You have to play to get into the bracket. Then you have to play through the bracket over the course of two years. That's the first thing a coach would say. That's, they've, they've somewhat got a point there. So the way I would be envisioning this is that maybe you start out with the current AAC membership. And you would create a, a tier structure based on, you know, again, this is brainstorming on the spot. But let's say tier two then is Conference USA and... Sunbelt or Conference USA, Mac and Sunbelt or, or hell, just the other four mid-majors. And so then 
the first year you're doing this, the bottom four teams from the AAC get relegated, so to speak, and the champions of those other four conferences get promoted. I'm so, fine with all of this, except for the fact that I don't know how... If you have a team catch fire in one year with, with a graduate transfer quarterback, okay, and they they tear through whatever tier they're in, the following year they get bumped up, they may not be anything close to resembling the team that was. Oh, that's always, I mean, that's always part of being in the in European soccer, too. You can obviously, or you get promoted with guys who are just really good for that second tier, and then you get promoted and you get romped and you get sent right back down. That's always part of the deal. There's a personnel management aspect to this that's kind of tricky. And Also, and, I'd like to point one thing out real fast, Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, in, our, in our world, we're doing this. Let's just say because they're the highest rated and because I think they're the best team in this group. Let's say Houston wins it, okay? Mm-hmm. However, we determine that top tier, if it's divisions, if it's round robin, whatever. So Houston wins tier one of the, of the Great American Conference, all right? If we, went through, if, if we gave Houston the automatic eight seed in an eight-team playoff this year, do you know what team they would be bumping out of the eight spot? Uh, not right offhand. Notre uh, Dame. Notre Dame, awesome. See, so, that, that's sold. Any national, any national hope this bitch just had just died. Um, you would be bumping out. What you would be doing is you would be saying that Houston is a more deserving team than the 8, eight 9, 10, 11, 12, which is the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 are Notre Dame, Florida State, North Carolina, TCU, and Ole Miss. I would be fine with some of those schools, but I would, it, it would be hard to sell Houston, not necessarily better than Notre Dame, but... I tell you what, this is going to be a great application, but maybe a great application. Um, I'm going to break the, the rule I've been uh, yelling about for three weeks. Let's see how Houston and Florida State shake out. That's the only thing I can, I can figure. Well, and the other aspect of this is just pure competition. Even if we're not talking about a playoff bid, um, if you're just talking about respect and, and quality and maybe better bowl bids and whatnot – um, there's that aspect too. Like that would give that would give a North Dakota State a reason to move up because you would be uh, guaranteed a certain level of competition if if you keep your act together. That is, of course. My, I think what why I'm frustrated about this, and, and it's just that I'm tired of hearing that that everyone has a chance at the playoff. It could yeah. not be that. That's one of the biggest lies in college football right now. To tell me that a, tw- a 13 and 0 Houston, which was the they had. Yeah, they're the only one loss um, group of five in the in the playoff top twenty five. All right, so let's say an undefeated Houston because yeah, the other one's Navy um, and then Temple. The fact that any of those schools had they gone undefeated would be anywhere close to the playoff to me is laughable. Maybe because the the committee values Notre Dame strongly. If if maybe Temple is, you know, if they beat Notre Dame, maybe if if Ole Miss is undefeated, save for a loss to Memphis, who goes right. undefeated, maybe. But I just we never we just didn't see that. We didn't see that happen. I I don't think it's going to happen. And to have a Houston team that loses just barely with an injured quarterback on the road in a game no one watched, then comes back and beats Navy and Temple. They're 18th right now. Yeah, Houston beats Baylor right now. I think Houston beats Oklahoma State right now. I think they give Oregon a game. As I go up the list, I think they beat Northwestern. I think they could beat Ole Miss. I think they could beat TCU, and I think they could beat North Carolina. My number. That's how Houston. far we're going to put them. My numbers hate Houston, but I'm leaving that out of this conversation at the moment. Um, and I'm okay with that too because I I I think I get where you're, why your numbers do, and that's just I think 
ultimately a product of what Houston gets to prove itself against and what Houston can do. And they also have their quarterback hurt for a little bit. Exactly. So a, a, Injuries a, a are a very strange thing that way. I mean, it's actually can, uh, Ooh, you ready for this segue? Everybody hold their breath. I'm going to create a pause, which kills a segue. Are you ready for this? Injured quarterbacks. There were like a thousand of them this year. Not necessarily an injury, but teams that are misrepresented by the quality of quarterback play. None to me is greater than the Florida Gators. Yes. All right. Will Greer, not coming back, apparently. He's out, right? Leaving Florida. Where that leaves this Florida team at 10-3, and three, having won a division, playing in a bowl game, all of a sudden, right, uh, a reclamation project out of nowhere in the first year of the Jim McElwain era. Where does that leave them now? And numerically, how much did Florida screw with your numbers this year? That's what I want to start this conversation at, because then I want to get into Jeff Driscoll and the New Orleans Bowl and what might have been. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that, you know, Trayon Harris comes in and actually they seem to do an okay job of using him for a couple of weeks. Then opponents got film and it was just over. Um, I don't remember right offhand that as the, the highest they got in mind in like RF plus or overall F plus, it was like seventh or eighth, I think. Uh, they're now 20th. Um, and that's full season. You know, there's no weighted, there's nothing weighted towards the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were full season average they were the 20th best team but that probably means they were playing like barely a top 50 team over the last month because of how high they were at the start of our, uh, November so um, I mean yeah it, it makes a huge it makes a huge deal when you're looking at full season averages it makes things look weird injuries always do um, or just pure momentum shifts or changes from September to November but no they're I mean they're now below Tennessee they're um they'll probably play poorly in the bowl and fall behind like uh, a couple of other teams too, and barely hold on to the top 25, despite the fact that for the first half of the season, they were a legitimate top 10 team. So they score 38 points against at home against in a winning overall miss. They score nine points, barely at home against Vanderbilt. Are, Are injuries and personnel changes, which is a fancy way of saying a dude took a steroid and got booted. Um, does that screw with your number? Is that the number one? Um, I just ranked it. <laughs> is that the biggest problem for your numbers? Oh yeah, I mean is that's accounting for injury. That there's a level of context there, and it's it's really hard to adjust for that. Like I, I think if I were to go in, you know, I I, I there's a handicapper that I talk to quite a bit. Um, just I, I give him some numbers and and whatnot, and he um, he talks a lot about how I mean he spends basically his entire week he'll, he'll come up with his computer ratings and then he'll just go in and make adjustments based on those things um, based on try, injury yeah based on injuries per changes in personnel basically and that's where he he makes a lot of his money is is being able to make those adjustments better than Vegas does and that's that's great I don't I mean the overall numbers serve my purpose I, it absolutely hurts them from a predictive standpoint. And, you know, at the very least, I still think there's a decent way to use kind of more, more recent performances as a, as a better predictor. And I'm, I, I don't – the way I came up with that last offseason, it was pretty hit or miss, so I didn't use it this year. But, um, but no, when you're looking at my rankings or, or mine and Fermo's rankings on, on outsiders, like the, mm-hmm. the, the things that are going to stand out to you the most are the teams that either – that missed a very important player for part of the year and therefore went down or, um, 
or well, or you know, teams that played really tough schedules and therefore went eight and five and ranked in like the top ten. But uh, injuries play a big role there, and, and I mean, there's no, there's a way around that, but it's it's kind of a manual adjustment because sometimes injuries affect the team and sometimes they don't, and you don't. It's hard to plug that into projections. Um. So we have here we have these Florida Gators at ten and three, and here we have an, a new narrative being built. So let's break that down. Um. It's not as simple as before Greer and after Greer because this is a team that struggled against Eastern Carolina. This is a team that struggled greatly on the road at Kentucky. But you could say this, because it is year one of a new offensive system, that you have a talent in Greer who was recruited by the previous staff, the same one who, which I'm going to get to in a second, was, was you know dogged for their inability to build an offense, right? Maybe you look at, okay, well, inferior talent in New Mexico State. They struggle a bit, mainly more on defense against Eastern Carolina. They struggle against Kentucky. They come from behind against Tennessee, as one does. Um, and then they thump Ole Miss. A little yeah. banged up Ole Miss, if I remember right, going into Yeah, that, that was game. Ole Miss was starting to fade there. Um, they beat a good defense in Missouri. Now you're starting to see them. Boom, okay, LSU. Then suspension is between the 17th and the 31st, I believe. No, it was no, after it, was after, it was right. It was like the day after Missouri. That's right. That's right. But yeah, yeah that's right. So, so uh, Harris comes in and plays against LSU. So they take their first loss. Then you're starting to see a more and more anemic offensive output that ends with two points against Florida State, 15 against Alabama. Granted, these are good teams, but they were also only able to score 20 against Florida Atlantic. Right, you they can were spot able- a pretty – easy trend there looking at yards per play they were let's see they were at five and a half yards per play or better for the first five games um and then they were at 6.2 against georgia because that was when georgia was at its most demoralized yeah uh and then they topped 4.3 once in the last five games and that was against south carolina and okay. they, they were still below average against south carolina so what moving forward is florida here, this is my question. McElwain comes into this, all this acclaim because of the immediate success he has, right? So they're riding the, the undefeated streak. They take a couple dings. Wow, 10-3. and three, They feel like they're back. They won their division, a really bad division, right? Muschamp gets hired at South Carolina. I went on the Clemson podcast, which, by the way, if you're a Clemson fan, if your team plays Clemson, if your team's in division with Clemson, very informative, super sharp guys. You should definitely check the, the podcast out. The reason why I liked him so much was that they, this is probably the first team-specific podcast I've done or radio show where, think about this, the team is about to play for the national title as the number one seed, and they are genuinely respectful and concerned and sort of like strategizing on what recruiting and playing against Muschamp for the next three to five years is going to be like, whereas everyone else right now is laughing about that hire. Now, I don't particularly, I'm not here to endorse or, or um criticize the, the Muschamp hire. So this is just me being a reporter. It happened, so I'm just, I, I am reporting on what is, okay? What I can tell you is everything that McElwain had success with, Muschamp brought him. He may have not been able to put the pieces together, but he did have a very telling quote this week that people laughed at, which was that he said, had I hired Kurt Roper in year one, I'd still be at Florida. I tend to believe that based off of the performance that Roper has and based off the pedigree he has with quarterbacks. He came up in the Cutcliffe system, and I think the way he was able to graft on some of the newer techniques that are out there, um, you know, he started in Cutcliffe's traditional pro-style offense that he used on the Manning brothers and then has evolved slowly over time. And then Roper, I think Roper favors a little bit more tempo and can spread it out a little bit more than the Cutcliffe system. He's a damn good O.C., 
next year, everyone's going to laugh at South Carolina because they're not going to have a ton of great personnel. They're going to have a lot of the same problems. It's just funny how these things get built where do we go back and blame all of this on like Charlie Weiss and Brent Peace? Because because Muschamp built this team that's ten and three now, and they lose this quarterback. Am I talking myself in a circle here, or do I, I, I'm I'm just shocked at how much acclaim McElwain's getting on Muschamp's roster, and how many people are laughing at the Muschamp hire, and probably will be for the next year or two because they're across the state from a national title contender because he's going to have to build from the bottom up on both sides of the ball. All I know is, I mean, if you told me at the beginning of the year with, without any hint of personnel or anything that Florida was going to rank 20th and 10 and three, I'd say McElwain did a hell of a job. Now, when you add the extra context in there that, you know, will with Will Greer, they were top 10 and with Trayon Harris, they were maybe worse than last year's team was with Trayon Harris. Then that makes it kind of interesting. But, um, but I mean, in, in the first year, I try not to judge coaches too much regardless. I, I, but I did think that what we saw from a creativity standpoint, even when Harris was first playing those first couple of games, they seemed to be putting him in good position to succeed. And they earned, they scored some points for, with me for that. They, they then turned around and lost a lot of those points. So uh, we'll pivot out of this with, with, how about a request instead of a hot take in this, the warm holiday season, the season of miracles. How about instead of the the knee-jerk reaction of McElwain, offensive genius, must-champ idiot, maybe take take that one extra step. If you're not a if you're not a Gator or a Gamecock or a Clemson fan and you're just looking at this quote unquote objectively, if you're just a college football fan, take that next step and start looking at circumstance and timing and who brought the talent in and that kind of stuff. Because I feel like maybe over time do you see some regression between the mean or do you see Muschamp slowly build up South Carolina and learn from his mistakes. Do you see McElwain stumble as uh, a head coach for the first time in the Southeastern Conference? Granted, Colorado State's a, a pretty damn good job for where it's at, but it's, it, it's not Florida. It does not have the highs, the lows, and the expectation, and the pitfalls, and the problems, and the upside, and the talent that Florida has. Um, I'm going to sidestep out of this after I make that kind request of you, the, uh, the stubborn college football fan on social media. <laughs> and go to Jeff Driscoll, former Florida quarterback. Um, nice game against, App- uh, not Appalachian State, Arkansas State in the New Orleans Bowl. I would say this, I was a little disappointed in Arkansas State and Louisiana Tech because I saw a lot of empty seats in the Superdome. And the years, the ULL, shout out to the Cajuns. If ULL's in that bowl, that bad boy is sold out and looks like the freaking Super Bowl. Yeah, there were at least like 50,000 people um, for the, until last year, I think, when they had that dumb morning kickoff. Um, attendance was... At or around fifty thousand plus for for the Lafayette games, and they, I think it was thirty five for um, Louisiana Tech Arkansas State. It was still fun. It was a nice way to, or sorry, thirty two eight. Uh, so not even thirty five. Almost. Uh, I, I I need to look it up again. I'm pretty sure that uh, the Celebration Bowl had the second best attendance of the day uh, behind the Vegas Bowl. I don't want to go backwards on the show, but that's the secret secret about the HBCU that no one has figured out yet. Um, they do neutral site travel better than anyone else in sports, period. Yeah, they were it's, disappointed last year. They were they got 57 to the Superdome at the Bayou Classic that I went to, and they were kind of disappointed with that. No one in these, white, in these white cities in the South talks about the fact that when you do neutral site games at stadiums, like big stadiums, um, it brings in a ton of money to hotels, to restaurants. Like, 
like people show up and show out for those deals. Like Tennessee State plays down the street from me um, at LP Field, the Titan Stadium. But when it, when there's a big game there, or when they go to somewhere like uh, NRG in Houston or any one of those, like they make they make folks money. They use the Cotton Bowl too, and they make folks money there. Um, all right, so jumping back on this, uh, Jeff Driscoll, really solid game, threw for over 400 yards, looked really good. Probably the second and a half time I've got to see a live Louisiana Tech game this year. Um, my question is, if you go nine and four at Louisiana Tech, are you are you justified? Have you made something out of a disappointing college career? Um, what does this mean? Tech has always been such a strange program to me because for so long they were the, the Eastern outlier in the whack. They refuse to play games against their neighbors like ULM. They are very much unto themselves in Ruston, which is probably the least Louisiana city in, in Louisiana. Um, I'm going to catch hell for that if, if certain people are listening. But what does this mean for Tech, Bill? What does this mean for Driscoll? It's, it, it was a very nice year, you know? Yeah. But what, I is mean, that, I mean, what, is, what does all top, that mean? He didn't top. I, I was looking at his stats, you know, Competition is obviously different, especially in Conference USA this year, which was worse than the Sun Belt, maybe. Um, but yeah, his passer rating in 2012 was 132. In 2013, it was 135. Uh, 2014, it was 103. Uh, it, it was just a, a dreadful experience all year last year. And then this year, it ended up being at 154. Um, you know, 4,000 yards, 23, 27 touchdowns to eight interceptions. He had... I don't know about sacks, but he ended up at least netting over 300 rushing yards. That probably means he had 500 rushing yards uh, non-sack. So, um, I mean, I think that I, I, it, watching him the other night was kind of funny, too, because he would just randomly remind you about how awesome his arm is. Um, that pass he had down the sideline to Dixon for the long touchdown, I think in the third quarter where he was on the run, he kind of motioned, he, he kind of pointed to, to where he wanted Dixon to go. And then he just lobbed it over a defender perfectly hit Dixon in strides. Uh, Dixon went straight down the sideline for a touchdown. It was a gorgeous pass. And he had a couple that were just, um, you know, so it, it was just, you know, a high caliber, you know, 90 mile per hour fastball kind of thing. Um, and, and it was a nice reminder this season. I, I mean, I watched a, actually a few Louisiana Tech games, come to think of it, and it's just a nice reminder of system and environment and just morale, it seems like, means so much to a college football offense. I mean, he was lost. He, he was lost. Nobody was listening to him at the end of his Florida tenure. Um, I mean, it was sad watching that bowl game where he had to play because Trayon Harris got hurt, but he didn't really want to, and his teammates didn't really want to play with him. Uh, but he had to go out there and do it anyway, got sacked a bunch. Um, there are just so many factors that go into being a good quarterback or a successful quarterback uh, besides having a good arm. And, and Driscoll going down to Louisiana Tech and doing so well was a nice reminder of that. It was a nice uh, you know, a reset for him, and I think he, he pretty clearly needed it. For Louisiana Tech, it's always great. I mean, anytime you can you know, take these uh, four- and five-star kids and, and you know, get them for – at least a year, preferably more than a year, and they have a few transfers on their team, and then they can go out and, and look like the athletes they were supposed to be at the power conference level. That's going to be good for you because you're going to get more of them that way. It's uh, fascinating to me um, that we may be talking about Driscoll. I, I think I think this this um, was the best move possible for Driscoll and a really sharp 
um, tactical move because he gets to put a lot of great stuff on film for the NFL draft. He gets to prove, I thought pretty emphatically, that it was Florida and the mess and the rotation and the, and the personnel issues at the end there and not him. So he, I, I know it's inferior talent. I know I get all that. I know Tech didn't play Florida's schedule, whatever. But Tech was an established, consistent commodity when he got there. You can say that. So I think it was a great move for him. Tech is a strange program. Maybe I'll just sort of um, kind of stare at that and, and dig into that in the offseason and figure out what that identity is there because Tech is all about a reclamation, man. But, I mean, Skip Holtz, yeah. Jeff Driscoll, Manny Diaz multiple times. Like, that's just what that place is. Um, and they – I mean, they had a, the number 32 offense. It, heading into bowls, they had the number 32 offense in my numbers. Um, that's legitimate. And that was before they put up 900 or whatever on Arkansas State. So, um, I mean, I, it was proof that you can put a really good, a sound product on the field, mixing five-year, you know, five-year recruits and transfers. And, I mean, I, you know, they've done it just enough through the years with different coaches that, I mean, it seems like a pretty welcoming environment if you are looking to transfer. And you're in Louisiana where there are a decent number of prospects too, so you can get assigned some decent high schoolers as well. Would be, last thing I'll say, it would be super curious what um, that Kurt Roper quote from Muschamp, if they have a consistent offense at Florida, what he looks like last year instead of what he did. And then also, what would he look like with McElwain? I think it would be very different. It's funny how circumstances have just been a little bit off for Florida for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk uh, bowls. We got some bowls this week, buddy. Uh, just start a couple, on, yeah. Yeah, we're going to start on Tuesday. Um, we will try and stay brisk on this, um, but who are we kidding? Um, uh, let's start firing away. Uh, potato Bowl, Akron, U- Utah State. Um, uh, probably the toughest one to start with just in terms of um, – let's do this. Let's sell everybody on why they should watch each one of these games. We're not going to pick them. We don't do that on the show. Let's just find highlights um, that we can give people. I would what? sell. I would sell the casual fan on Utah State as an offense. That's what I would do. Uh, In general, I guess they're more. They're much better, further along defensively than offensively. But they do have, uh, you know, Ch- well, first of all, it's Chucky Keaton's last game. Yeah, that's uh, that's so. what I was going for. So, yeah, this is like a retirement party. Just, like, go by and pay your respects. Uh, he, he has not been very effective this year, which makes sense because he's had 38 knee surgeries. Right. Um, approximately. Uh, Kent Myers, his other, the other quarterback involved, actually could be, I mean, kind of was a better Chucky than Chucky was this year when he was healthy. Uh, but, uh, what, you know, Utah State for the life of it can't keep anybody healthy. I will. The other point I would make about this game is Akron's basically kind of a Louisiana Tech for the MAC this year in um, the number of transfers they've, they've brought in. They got Donnell Alexander from Colorado State. They got um, Daryl Monroe uh, from Washington State. They got a couple, Savon Pittman and a couple of former Ohio State players. They got Rodney Coe from Iowa State. Uh, their defense is actually legitimately solid, especially for the mid-major level, like a top 10 mid-major defense. Uh, and you're going to recognize a lot more names than you think you will if you turn that game on. Okay, uh, next one's going to be just as tough for me to, to pull something out of my rear. Uh, Boca Raton Bowl, Toledo and Temple. Um, is this, I mean, I'll start with a question. You heard about Matt Rule all year. Maybe you're a Missouri fan, he gets mentioned for your job. Maybe you're a Penn State fan and you're already pissed off at Franklin. Well, you were pissed off at Franklin the day they hired him. <laughs> is this the game to watch to look at Matt Rule in any way, shape, or form? Well, I mean, I think the interesting thing with Rule in this game is this is like a new start. He was he 
got attention from power conferences and a lot of power conferences had openings and he stayed. And so, I mean, maybe that's only for one more year and, you know, maybe Franklin gets fired or something next year and, and suddenly everybody wants him at Penn State. Um, he, he's not going to be there forever, but they kept him. And, and this becomes, so next year is almost like a Fuente victory lap kind of thing. Like somehow Memphis kept Fuente for this year and he went out and did even better. Next year, uh, Temple's going to have most of its offense back. It's going to have a decent amount of its defense back, although it loses like two or three real playmakers. Uh, so maybe the defense, maybe it's like Memphis where the defense regresses and the offense improves next year. But I mean, as far as this goes for Temple, Rule's still the coach. That's like the, that's the big thing for this game is I don't know what happens in it, but Rule's still the coach and that's a big thing. All right. Um, the next one, normally a good one. Actually, I'll tell you what, this is, this may, I keep saying this as we go down the list. This one's the harder one to sell. This one's the harder one to sell. Um, <laughs> Poinsettia Bowl, Boise State, um, probably the quiet, quietest Boise State season we've had in the past decade, um, roughly. Uh, yeah, against, really disappointed. I, I really yeah, thought they had a chance NYU. at 12-0. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Boise had a chance at 12-0 this year. Um, you know, once, once Rippon took over at quarterback, you got a freshman in charge, so you don't really – 12-0 is probably not going to happen regardless, but they had, you know, some untimely uh, – defensive breakdowns they had turnovers they they just did did a lot of things they, they lost to teams they're not that boise state's not supposed to lose to so yes. you do wonder if so sometimes in, in that situation when you've had a disappointing season sometimes the bowl is a path to you know a, a statement of intent for next year or way sometimes down kind of at a, 59th by the way in, your, in the s&p yeah yeah or, and then sometimes um you know the bowl is basically a formality of god let's just get the season over with so We'll see what happened, like which one of those Boise States shows up. For, North, for NIU, they, they were a perfectly decent team until they didn't have a quarterback, and then they were a less-than-decent team. Um, I still have faith that, BYU, BYU, that Boise State can turn around next year. I think that um, they were so diplomatic in the way just, – just to criticize someone's coaching ability in hindsight – um, Harson was so diplomatic and so even-handed with that quarterback race when I was out there in the spring. Um, I think – this may have just been a year long rotation of audition and they just didn't find an identity there. Maybe that's it. I'm, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt because well, Rippin had the job for a good portion of the year though. Right. But going into it, they just did. I'm saying that they well, didn't, right. yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah, plan yeah. around it. They didn't plan around a single quarterback until week one from what I was told. So and I, then he got hurt. That that's tough. Also Rippin was really, really fun to watch every time I've seen him in person. So Maybe you yeah, build he's just, he's a freshman quarterback. I mean, that's just, you know, even the good freshman quarterbacks, most, most of them are going to have a lot of screw-ups their first year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think – I don't want to dwell on it too much, but, yeah, I think we all kind of have a soft spot for Boise because they defy logic so much. Um, uh, I'll probably go and visit them again in the offseason, maybe. I, I just – I don't think anyone wants to see Brian Harson fail at that job, and um, it's what they built defies a lot of the crappier logic in college football. So I think that's why we all have it in for him. And also I've yet to be contacted when anyone's like, God, you guys are Boise state homers. Like <laughs> does an Idaho fan say that, like who cares? Um, all right. The, uh, the go daddy bowl, uh, Bowling green against a temporary temporarily coachless Georgia Southern team. Well, Bowling Green, too. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, I don't know who the interim is for Bowling Green. Um, um, <laughs> I yeah. wrote it in my preview, and I've already forgotten. Exactly. So, um, this game, a month ago? Oh, man. Right? 
Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe you close your eyes and pretend it's November. That's how we well, sell this I mean, bad that's boy. why, you know, both teams have now brought in or hired new coaches, but they're still going to kind of ride it out with the old staff. That's right. usually what happens. Occasionally you'll see, what was it, Blake Anderson at Arkansas State where he comes in and then just coaches the bowl game? Or, or somebody, I think, did that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this game if with Dino Babers and Willie Fritz would have been pretty interesting. Bowling Green was a much better team on average but just the contrast, the the air raid versus the kind of the spread option thing that that Fritz runs. I it's it, people have been calling it triple option. I guess it occasionally is, but it's really just a, like a, a fun spread option system. Um, if if there's no drop off with the interims, then that's this should be pretty a pretty fun just contrast game. But we'll see. I think that both teams are going to hold true to their identities only because they haven't had time to change anything else. So that's fair. But you never know about their focus when, with the interim and all that. Yes. Um, they will have the same playbooks. They, I don't know if they're going to have the same um, identity because of all the psychological stuff that comes with right. it. However, this- I will say, like in, in Georgia Southern's case, everything that they built around the week I was there, when I talked to them in the spring, everything I know from the Georgia Southern boosters that my, my family knows that are friends with, is that this is a bowl game, and it's the first bowl game for Georgia Southern. This yeah. is a bowl game that they didn't get last year when they stomped a hole through everybody in the Sun Belt. This is the bowl game that they didn't get the year they beat Florida and was also not allowed to go to the playoffs in the FCS. They want this game. And because of all the different distractions that have popped up, namely, this is also a year you lost to App State, which is a big deal. You lost to Georgia State, which is inexcusable. And then your coach leaves on you. So a lot of that has dampened the enthusiasm. But I do feel like at its core, Georgia Southern wants to say they played in a bowl. And they're finally getting to play in a bowl. So we'll see. Yeah. Appalachian State kind of went through the same thing. And they were okay. I mean, they, they... they finally got it together in the second half, um, but they were really kind of that, that shows you the other side of you think that, you know, first bowl or just some momentous occasion, you're going to come out on fire. Sometimes it's kind of the opposite. You just don't you know, know what to do. Right. You're, you're kind of not completely in control of yourself a little to, to whatever degree, but no, I hope, I hope that both teams play uh, like accurate representations of themselves because that will be a really fun game. Bahamas Bowl, Middle Tennessee and Western Michigan. This is going to be uh, – <laughs> well, A, watch this be, just in case we see another 34-point comeback and, you know, Hail Mary hook and ladder at the end. Um, but this is two, two teams that, you know, were kind of not very good at the start and then started playing well when nobody was paying attention to them whatsoever. Um, Western Kentucky wasn't – I mean, Western Michigan wasn't quite as good this year as maybe they were supposed to be, but over the last month they kind of were maybe. So um, – just this should be two pretty good mid-major uh, going at it, and two two teams with better offenses than defenses. So you know that could make for fun. Uh, my my short sell in the next game because we're just going to kind of pick the pace up later a little bit. Um, the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, actually, my shortest sell is this. It's it, we talked about this last week. It's eight p.m. Eastern on New Year's or on uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, if you are like my in-laws, you're going to have probably a hundred people in the house drinking and carrying on, um, man, it's football. Dude, just watch it. And it, Cincinnati is pointsy. So go with that. Gunnar Keel won't be there. I don't think that'll matter too much. It'll be interesting to see if Eddie Grant, the offensive coordinator will be there because well, right, right now that's, he's that's been rumored to be the front runner for multiple jobs. Um, OC jobs from everything from Maryland to South Carolina to you name it. And, uh, it looks like now he may end up at Kentucky to replace Shannon Dawson. So um, Kentucky, one, secretly crappy. We, we, yeah. we, did we touch on that this year? We really haven't a couple touched times. on that this Maybe show. a couple times, yeah. 
No. Oh well, I guess we haven't touched on it lately because they're they're not on this full list. So, um, even without Eddie Grant and even without Gunnar Keel, Cincinnati, I, I I'll give you the guarantee because you're going to be three drinks in anyway, probably, or you're going to be falling asleep after putting together toys to help Santa Claus, of course. Um, Cincinnati's going to score some points, man. It's football. Just watch it. Or if they don't, it's going to be a, a pretty entertaining self-destruction. They had a couple of those this year. They did. Um, now, my one concern here is in, in terms of building this game up from an offensive perspective is Hayden Moore, the, I assume, the starting quarterback for Cincinnati now that Keel's out. Um, kind of mistake prone. Throw some picks. San, San Diego State's whole deal is confusing you in, into throwing picks, basically. Um, and so this could – I've got a twinge of concern that he comes out and throws five picks and San Diego State wins like 24 to 6. But Cincinnati moves quickly enough that even if they have a bunch of terrible possessions and turnovers, they'll get enough possessions that they'll at least score some points, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most – in terms of raw football entertainment this year that I saw in person was Cincinnati and Memphis. I mean, yeah. they were just whipping yeah. it, just with disregard. So, um, all right, let's move on. And we got a lot of bulls. Um, let's do the bulls on the 26th and the 28th, which is actually a lot. So we're going to do these real fast. Okay. Um, St. Petersburg bowl, Yukon and Marshall. Um, I mean, Bob Diaco is a dreamy looking man. Um, so and also directly into his eyes. You'll commit to Yukon. And then I think also that um, if you want to find next year's Tom Herman, it's not, I'm not saying Yukon's going to go undefeated or one loss or whatever, but I am to say that, um, in certain circles, there are a lot of people watching what Bob Diaco does and turning around UConn, and they did beat Houston this year. Yeah, I, I in the preview, I, I finished the preview of this game yesterday. I don't know when it's going up, but um, I, I just mentioned that, they, that UConn's basically a poor man's Iowa this year. Maybe it's like a, you know, the old, the veritable homeless man's Iowa. I don't know, but um, they basically they don't do a lot of things very well, but they define the terms of the game. They're going to go really slowly. They're not going to give you any possessions. Um, and if you make any mistake whatsoever, you're going to be wondering why you're losing 20 to 14. If you play really well, then you can, I mean, they got stomped a couple times this year. You can handle them. And Marshall, Marshall's a really interesting matchup just because they're athletic and they, they're explosive. They can do a lot of really fun things, but they are young and will make mistakes too. And so this game could go a lot of different ways. Sun Bowl, uh, why the hell am I selling this to anybody? It's, it's freaking 20 feet away from Juarez. Mike Leach has Washington State bowl eligible, and they're playing Miami. What the hell do you people want? Yeah, I mean, I, I got. I mean, I could go into more detail, but that pretty much you're going to watch this one. Well, we don't need your numbers, Bill. Not this time, buddy. We don't. If you, if you can't get excited about that, go watch baseball. Uh, Heart of Dallas Bowl, Washington and Southern Miss. Um, I love it when teams that have no geographic ties whatsoever and have never had a reason to even think about playing each other play. Like BYU-Utah, that's kind of the, the dream scenario for a bowl, but I do like it when it's <laughs> some r- random power conference team versus some other mid-major on the entire other side of the, of the country. So that's my style. This is Southern extremely Miss is random. The, yeah. Um, Southern Miss, uh, secretly more good than you probably think if you're a casual fan. Washington is probably secretly worse than you expected this year. Yeah, uh, 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 uh. Somebody um, didn't look at my numbers. Wait, are you, you going to sell me on Washington? Washington was like a top 25 team in my numbers. Uh, no, 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 no. I saw your numbers. I mean, uh, wait, are, are we saying that Washington's doing okay? Am I missing something uh, I, here? I'm saying they were too young to win close games, but they also okay. All right. blew out. Every, every win they had was an absolute blowout. They crushed, a, like, what, two bowl teams, Washington State and uh, 
Arizona, which All right. mean, neither neither are amazing. We're going to earmark this for a future show when we're in the vast, vast <laughs> nutrient deficient desert of the off season. But my, my point re- is, w- was Washington's expectation and their reality not disproportionate? I thought this year. I mean, when I wrote Washington's preview this year, it was basically this this seems to be headed in the right direction, but you guys are probably going to stink this year because you're playing a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. And a lot of Washington fans seem to agree with that. Mm-hmm. So I think six and six was probably the expectation, but I think they were a really, really good six and six. And maybe that they showed a lot more upside this year than anybody thought they would. Um, pinstripe bull, Indian and Duke, um, Madison square garden and, and you know, Bobby Knight versus coach K. <laughs> Uh, close enough. Uh, about six more stops up on the uh, six train, I believe. Uh, it's Yankee Stadium. It's in the Bronx. It's a football game. Um, I am struggling here. I'm really happy with for Kevin Wilson. I'm glad they they had, they had some bad luck the last couple of years with injuries and, and just timing. Um, so I was glad that they managed to to get that sixth win and, and get bowl eligible. They were uh, at times at times they were bad this year. At times they were a pretty good team this year. Um. Oh, sorry. I had defense instead of offense. Uh, offense pulled up on the S and P. This potentially could have some pointiness. Duke is hard to read. I mean, they they move really quickly, but they fail a lot. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, they're they're kind of defense heavy. Indiana's kind of offense heavy. That that's one of those that could go either way. You could have forty two forty one if the if you know Indiana's bad defense you know sucks Duke out of its you know stupor, but it's hard to say. Um, I like the potential for strange things to happen in baseball stadium football games because I think yeah. it's sort of dumb to begin with. I'm not against it or like, oh, it's killing the sport. I'm just, it's so weird. Um, you know, Indiana, uh, what, top 20 offense, right? Uh, Got to be pretty close to it. They're actually kind of run heavy this year too because they got okay. the UAB kid. By I'm the way, just, at some I'm point looking to make season, a sale here, man. I'm just, try, I'm just trying to point out good things. Yeah, um, so. I, in the offseason, by the way, I want to walk through all the, the UAB players. Um, <laughs> and you know where they're you know Jordan Howard went and then you know Gainis at, at Georgia wasn't he named like defensive MVP or something this year like three or at least three or four UAB players did really well wherever they went uh, and that's that's weird um we're almost there all right yep. we're almost there just put your head down um we're almost there and then I lost my spot Independence Bowl Greatest bowl of all the bowls in the sunniest, happiest place in the world. <laughs> Virginia Tech in Tulsa. Um, what, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, do you look for? Do you want? Do you take away? You just want to win. You just It's Beamer's last game. You just want to win. Like, I think that's what all – there's no future takeaways for this game. You just want to beat – Like if they light it up, if they just light it up, what does that do for like – the fan who's trying to get excited about the future with Fuente, or you, just, that, or do you pause I, all that, Bill? And just you're celebrating your your Joe Pa, your your Bowden, your Bear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's all it is. Like they they're probably excited about Fuente anyway because you know he he proved a hell of a lot of Memphis, and you know you've got pretty good defensive talent returning. Regardless, you got your your you know fifty year defensive coordinator back. So I mean, I think next year your excitement for next year is kind of set. If you lose to Tulsa, or if you lose badly to Tulsa. Maybe that resets expectations a little bit, no, or maybe, I, I or maybe good. that just reinforces the move in general, and you just right. you're like, "What?" I think if you, it's a win-win for the hoax, because <laughs> if you get blown out, you, well, you're in Bozier City. I mean, what's better than that? 
And then also you get to uh, you just say, well, hey, this is why we made the move. We got a new guy coming in. Um, Foster Farms Bowl, uh, University of California at Los Angeles against Nebraska. Uh, it's a lot better. But part of me kind of wants all the five and seven teams to win. Yeah, uh, just to piss everybody off. So, so um, uh, something strange might happen at the end because it's a Mike Riley Nebraska team. Yeah. And yeah. Jim and Moore is probably going to act like a petulant dick at some point. I am struggling <laughs> for sales points here. Yeah, Ro- Rosen's fun. Nebraska is, is certainly eventful. Uh, it'll be an eventful game uh, no matter what. I think that's good enough. All right, yeah. I may skip that one. Um, military Bowl, Navy, Pittsburgh. This um, one just feels right. I, I, come on, man. Uh, these teams know each other. Um, I really like what Narduzzi's done in rebuilding the program slowly. Rebuilding, wrong word, maybe, there. Um, let's not say rebuilding. New, a, new attitude. The ability yeah. to maybe win a close game at some Sharp, point. Sharpened, better focus. Um, because, yeah, let's go with that. And then um, Navy, um, I mean, hey, I think it's a huge win for Navy because guess what? Their coach isn't leaving. Yeah. That's this probably is the really, biggest thing. This is, this is Ken's best Navy team. This is a really good Navy team. Um, I, I I hate that they didn't quite keep up with Houston as long as I thought they would. Yeah. And of course, then they always they always do that against Army. But um, this was a, a, a rock solid Navy team. And uh, now I'm watching a dog wander through our backyard for some reason. But nice. anyway, um, Navy, good. Yeah. Um, and I would say this, uh, and we'll, another off season topic. Maybe I should take notes. I'm probably not going to though. Um, <laughs> when you send Paul Christ to Wisconsin, a Big Ten power school, and you get Pat Narduzzi, I think not only did you improve the ACC, but you maybe sort of like kind of popped the, uh, the Big Ten in the face a little bit. How's that? Yeah. Um, quick lane bowl. Quick lane bowl. Uh, Minnesota and Central Michigan. Uh, the former Little Caesars Bowl. Th- all right. Now keep in mind, this is the last bowl on our list for this this round of previews. So – <sighs> um, hmm. Central Michigan is better than I thought they would be. Minnesota is as mediocre as I thought they would be. Minnesota, I mean, Jerry Kill retirement notwithstanding, it's about exactly what you expected this year, wasn't it? Well, I didn't no, think much about were, Minnesota. A lot of people were saying, you know, Big Ten West contenders. and what? I'm sorry, what? No. Yeah. No. 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 There was a there was a bandwagon in the off season because Jerry Kill is a you know all, all caps Jerry Kill is a great coach. Um, and I Minnesota find it is a is a challenger in the in the West Division. And granted, I didn't know who really was a challenger in the West, but I they lost so much on offense before this year. I was trying to figure out exactly why people thought they were ever going to move the ball. I thought that they acquitted themselves well when they played TCU, which was the best team on their schedule until they played Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, they were fine. I mean, they were they were probably better than five and seven, um, just in terms of there are a lot of bowl eligible teams beneath them that were uh, in the in the rankings at least. But um, yeah, I, they, they're fine. <laughs> By the way, the, the first rule of comedy is to never explain the joke. But uh, if you pull up the Gopher schedule and listen to what I just said, you'll find out why that was a troll comment. Anyway. Um, <laughs> It's football. Damn it. I can't and, glean anything and, out of this. And, and I do this for co- a living. It's Central Michigan cancer. and Minnesota. Just get drunk and watch it. Sam used cancer, uh, coach to speak cancer. What more do you want? Yeah. You dicks. 
Someone might eat an ice cream bar, even though it's indoors. That won't be a novelty. I don't know. I, 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 all right, how about this? How about a sales point? I guarantee you, and Bill guarantees you. Shut up, Bill. Something funny will happen in this game that will become an internet meme. You think? <laughs> Something weird in the central Michigan, Minnesota. We're, we're not going to have the little Caesars mascot around, though. Some, I don't know. Something. By the way, Ohio State was way better than Iowa, just for the record. That was the joke. Hey, man, I didn't see Ohio State in Indianapolis, did I, Bill? That was the troll. See? You couldn't let it go. You just, you just spoiled my Easter egg. I and I have, by the way, I don't have anything against to Ohio State. On the record that I can, that's one of my things this year. I cannot give Iowa credit at any time. So. See? Yeah, and, you, and there you go. I, I thought, here's a funny joke. I'll prop up Iowa at the expense of Ohio State and, and, and Michigan. And I will actually the hell out of it. <laughs> All right. Um, here's the good news. Um, at the stopping point of this bowl schedule, when we, by the way, we are not taking the holidays off. We'll be back with you in seven days. Um, <laughs> the uh, the meat of it's coming, man. We're not going to have to sell you on the next on the upcoming roster because even like a talentless Baylor or like a um, offensive offensiveless uh, LSU or. Why should Auburn care about Memphis? I mean, like, we're going to have fun with the next round. Just just get through this week. Enjoy your holiday if that's what you do. Um, indulge. And maybe this is the reminder week, okay? Because you would stab a hobo in the eye for any of this any of this in April, all right? Now, if you'll pardon me, I have 5,000 words to write about uh, a 64-team American conference. Are we going to do it? Well, of course. All right. See, things happen on the show. Also, uh, we, before we get out of here, we have to thank um, a couple people who took, really took this five and seven thing and, and made, yes. it, <laughs> made it America's. It's not ours anymore. It belongs to you. We, uh, unto you, we, we have borne this child. Um, in fact, I'm pulling up my email right now on the five and seven tournament. There was one listener who is, um, should be committed because – if you put this much into this kind of stuff, then you're ultimately going to end up to be like a Batman villain one day. Um, and that gentleman's name is Ross Cunningham. He basically created the um, what he gave he gave Vegas odds and a championship probability to the entire field. If you guys remember from last week's show, we had a five and seven tournament that we bracketed out. Um, the teams were Nebraska, Texas, Minnesota, Missouri, Illinois, East Carolina, San Jose State, and Buffalo. Um, the Vegas odds, by the way, Nebraska being the favorite at 210, Buffalo uh, coming up in the rear at 19,850, uh, with a championship probability of 0.5. Percent. Percent. Single percent. Sorry. Um, you guys are idiots, but it's nice to know that you're idiots with us and that you share in our delusion. However, was... however, yeah. one thing, Bill, I want to make an amendment, and you tell me, and we're really going to flesh this thing out. Is it all right, you know how you if you if you play fantasy football, I know that there's like a losers bracket to see who's going to be the worst team in your league, so you can like humiliate them with like a bet, right? If we have a traditional bracket, I don't think that supports the the the, the pure mission of this tournament. I think that the reward should be going home as soon as possible. So here's what I suggest: instead of a bracket, we take the teams and we have one game of two quarters. The lo- winner gets to go home. The loser has to keep playing. Has to keep playing. <laughs> Sorry, Buffalo. 
you know, San Jose State's quarterback last week, they asked him about, you know, why, you know, five and seven team going bowling. He said, hey, I, I love to play football and I'm going to keep playing. If they tell me to play, I'm going to play. So, you know, San Jose State for, uh, for champion of the Yeah, but it's seven. called the sadness bracket. <laughs> I like the idea of all the teams have to show up on the same day. Everyone has to, like, share two high school locker rooms, get ready, and then they just stand and they just have to sit and wait. And then two quarters go by. And then maybe we have it done like a like a like a state lottery style. So it'd be like, okay, guys, Nebraska, East Carolina, you're up. All right, Nebraska, you lost. You're stuck here. East Carolina, you get on the bus and go home. Enjoy your holiday. Next up is like, we do that thing with the balls, and then it's Minnesota. Get out here, and then that's what you do. I just like how we really started with no agenda whatsoever, and we've gone over six, uh, 70 minutes at this point. That's because the, that's because the sadness bracket took us here. It was the angel on our shoulders. <laughs> when we get T-shirts made, it's going to happen. Gonna, we're going to sell this bill. Sad. And this is good. We're going to find a corporate sponsor. That was, this was affirmation that in the offseason when we asked for somebody to make us a theme song, it might happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to get into all that soon because um, – we have to stop making excuses for poor quality and lack of production come off season, or we'll just find new excuses. One or the others. Sorry about Utah State's offense. I still think it's good. I like Matt Wells. I mean, I I I love Chucky Keaton to death. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I see how it is. All right, we'll be back with you next week. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for humoring us. Yep. <laughs>